Hello, everyone, and welcome to another America's Conservative Podcast. I am your host, Ed Mensel, and the reason you hear me laughing as I'm saying this is I cannot even begin to tell you how good I feel right now, physically and mentally. Uh, the last uh, 24 hours have been a little bit laborious. Um, I've talked about my allergies. In fact, uh, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you maybe realize around the, this time of the year I get coughing and sneezing and sniffles, and you hear it on this great microphone that I have, and I apologize for that. Well, it went to a whole new level yesterday. I barely got through the show yesterday. In fact, as I was doing the show, just standing here talking was putting me out of breath. That's true. I'm not exaggerating. And it continued to get worse the rest of the day. I had two phone calls uh, to make. One happen and the other one uh, didn't happen. It had to do with my other show, Unfound. But I got, got it done. But it was laborious. Asthma attack. Um, right along the lines of the one that I got right before I went back to see my parents in Pennsylvania back in December. And it has to do with the pollen and everything that's flying around in the air and that I am obviously hugely allergic to. just sets my allergy sensors off. Well, I barely slept last night, and uh, I got I finally did fall asleep, but I got up this morning. My upper chest and my shoulders were sore from me laboring to breathe. That's, that's how bad it was. And just with no notice, I have a new plan, a health plan. And this, uh, I have Florida Blue now. I got on the computer, found the nearest doctor who just happened to be right down the street. I uh, found out when he was opening up, went down there, walked in, and I said, I'm having an asthma attack. Uh, for the last 24 hours, I'm sore from trying to breathe so hard. I know I don't have an appointment, but I'm just going to sit here in your lobby until you take me, until somebody can see me. Had to wait about uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that, but eventually the doctor saw me and spent a lot of time with me, gave me an inhaler, got me some prescription stuff, and I am absolutely feeling great now. But I'm going to have to continue to take this stuff uh, because it it's not necessarily me. It's what's in the air, and that's the bad thing about asthma, that you uh, what you need to breathe, you're trying to breathe harder and harder, and at the same time you're taking in what's giving you the asthma in the first place. It's That's why asthma is such a killer. The, little by little, you start to not be able to breathe, breathe into the point where you pass out, and when you pass out or you collapse or something, then it's too late. And I have to admit that late last night into early this morning, uh, I felt like that. I really did. In fact, uh, when I was looking at the clock and knowing that the this clinic opened up in like three hours, those are like the longest three hours of my life, I'm here to tell you. But he gave me an inhaler. I took this one shot of this thing, and now I'm standing here and I feel great. But like I know, I know that I have to continue to take this stuff for at least the next month. And I re- think the reason it's so bad is because of uh, it, we haven't had a cold winter. So you have a lot more pollen in the air than you usually do. And it is flying around, and it's going right into my lungs. And uh, I have a very, very strong defense mechanism, and that's really what your body is doing. It's, 
it's closing up your lungs because it senses something foreign being in there. And my obviously my immune system is very, very overactive, and I've known that for years and years and years. But I'm feeling good now. Thank you to the doctor down there who saw me on very short notice, has never seen me before because I have a new plan. I have to go to a new doctor now. And he spent a lot of good time with me and uh, got to know me and what's been going on. Really deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate it. This is why I continue to say about healthcare in this country. If you let the doctors and nurses do their job, everything they've gone to school for years and all this money that they've spent, they will do it. They will do it. It won't be easy. It won't be maybe sometimes quick. Sometimes you'll have to wait a little bit, but I surely believe that the free market can sort all of these problems out that we have. In fact, before I think this doctor and his people even knew that I had insurance, they were going to help me some way, one way or the other. You know what? They said, you know what? We have some, I think, some free samples and and everything. And I said, well, you know, I have insurance and I have prescription drug coverage and all that stuff. And then we started to talk a little bit more about what could be done. But they were ready to help a person off the street who had no appointment. They were willing to do stuff for somebody. They weren't going to allow somebody to die from an asthma attack in their office. And this is the point that I continue to make. This is what I don't like about when, when Donald Trump says, we're not going to let people die in the streets. Well, nobody is letting people die in the streets. You're not driving down, even in Chicago and L.A., New York, and all these big cities, you're not driving down the street and seeing people dying from asthma attacks. You know, these doctors and nurses will figure out a way to help these people. The problem is there's so much paperwork and and the government getting involved between the, the doctor and the patient that it creates problems, and that's how people die, just like at the VA, just like that. These people want to help people. Yes, they want to be they want to be paid for it. They have bills to pay too. They have cars, they have houses, they have kids, uh, they have alimony, they have child support and all those things. They want to go on vacations too. They deserve to be paid. We need to let the free market work that all out. Doctors and nurses will figure out on their own what they want to be paid and the hours they need to work and the, the, the patients that they need to see. And in the end, I think that this will work out. It's, it would take some time. It wouldn't figure itself out overnight. And, through, and if that continued, there would be constant tweaks to it. But pe- these people want to help. They care about keeping people alive. I know there's some shysters out there, and there's insurance fraud and everything that goes on. It is a very small, small percentage of the people who work in the healthcare field. But I think that, you know, unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where, uh, with the, all this talk about healthcare, like within the, like the last ten years, let's say, uh, it's uh, it almost feels to me like doctors and nurses and people in those fields, cardiologists and surgeons and MRI techs and whoever else. It feels to me like they are starting to get a little bit of a bad reputation, and that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. 
It, the problem is everything in between the patient and the doctor and the nurse, all those people who have chosen to go into that field. All right. Yes, I know. Maybe some of them went in for the money. I think of that movie Gross Anatomy with Matt Modine. Are you in it? What was the constant question uh, in that movie about are you in it for the money or are you in it to help people? It's been years since I saw that movie. And there may be some people who got into being doctors to, to, for the money. Maybe. We know that doctors can make good money. Of course, if they're heart surgeons, really you know, specialty, especially if they're doing plastic surgery, something like that. But along with that goes helping people, and that, I think, is their main goal. They make money through helping people. There shouldn't be anything wrong with that. Let them do it. So I'm very fortunate uh, to walk into that place, and it's just a little little clinic right down the street. I mean, I could walk there, right down the street from where I live here in Madeira Beach, and um, I'm glad they could help me out on sh- su- such uh, short notice. So let's get to the show. I guess that a little bit of a show there, a little political uh, healthcare rant. Neil Gorsuch is your pick. And I was just, right before I got on to do this show, uh, I I emailed my buddy Dave and I told him, because I was already talk, they're going to do the nuclear option or the Democrats going to filibuster this guy. I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, I know that uh, some of them, and I guess many Democrats outside of government, are bitter about what happened with Merrick Garland, how he was nominated, what was it, back in March of 2016, April of 2016, and the Republican Senate refused to hear his nomination. First of all, that's perfectly constitutional, perfectly. Second of all, um, I'm not sure, you know, looking back at it now, and now that we know who Trump's pick is. There certainly seems to be more energy for Trump's pick with Neil Gorsuch than there was for Merrick Garland and Barack Obama's pick. That's my perception. I could be wrong about that, but that was my perception going back. I don't remember a lot of liberals and Democrats jumping up and down about how happy they are that Merrick Garland was nominated. It was like, okay, yeah, great. And then once I think they found out that the Republicans weren't going to hear his nomination, that's when they got all, well, they need to do this and look at them undermining this and they should – we know what they said. It wasn't until there was some resistance that they started getting excited about Merrick Garland. That's how – at least how I remember it. Whereas now you can see all over places from National Review to Hot Air to RedState.com to the NewAmericana.com sites that sometimes agree with each other and sometimes don't. There is a lot of positivity regarding this guy. We'll see, and I'll get into that in a second. But once again, there seems to be a lot more excitement about Neil Gorsuch who – I have to admit, I've never even heard of 
until a couple weeks ago. But I don't really follow that stuff um, closely. So there seems to be a lot of excitement, more excitement for him than there was for Merrick Garland. Maybe it's just for the fact that uh, people were a little afraid, me included. And maybe, I guess I was wrong. I'm going to say that I was wrong on what Donald Trump do, uh, who he was going to pick, at least for now. At least for now. Um, but maybe it's just relief. Maybe this enjoy this excitement uh, I read and I see today is just relief that Donald Trump made a pick uh, that was in the ballpark of what is acceptable and a worthy successor to Antonin Scalia. I have to admit, I doubt this guy is going to to take Antonin Scalia's place. Antonin Scalia was one of a kind, uh, a unique mind, and I think that you start putting the, Neil, the, the Antonin Scalia label on Neil Gorsuch, you might be let down by him. We don't know. First of all, we don't even know how he's going to rule. Or we don't know. We know how people have been nominated and then changed. Most, you know, in mainly the way of being nominated by a Republican and then suddenly the person going to the liberal side sometimes. Like uh, we know regarding Obamacare and then Anthony Kennedy. So even Ronald Reagan got Antonin Scalia right, but with the woman that he nominated, whose name escapes me right at the second, kind of wish-washy. So you never can tell. You never, you don't know. But I think the excitement you're reading today and seeing is just a relief. Okay. And, it, and I guess it's great. It's great. Uh, and I was, I guess, wrong with that. But we, we won't know until he starts making decisions and then we're going to see what Trump's 3 a.m. tweets say about the decisions that his Supreme Court justice is making. So getting back to Merrick Garland, I just didn't sense a lot of excitement on, on, on that. And I think that liberals are kind of rewriting history. You know, suddenly now they're like the biggest Merrick Garland fans in the world, and they think that the, the, the Democrats in the Senate should filibuster because Merrick Garland got screwed over. Well, uh, the way I remember it is that you guys weren't really excited about it anyway. I, you know, I think probably because he wasn't Lanny Guineer or, or somebody like that. Remember going back to the 90s. Remember her name? Remember her? So, uh, just seems there's more excitement on the Republican side for Neil Gorsuch than there was for liberal on the liberal side for Merrick Garland last year. Here's though I think continuing that idea. I'm going to be surprised if the Democrats really really go full bore to try to stop this nomination. Okay. Um. Yes. Maybe they saw a way with Merrick Garland, even though they. Like I said, the excitement wasn't high. They saw a way to seal the court as liberal for the foreseeable future, for maybe generations, as so many people arguing for Trump said. One of the reasons they voted for Trump, people voted for Trump, because he was going to get to make a Supreme Court pick very quickly in his um, time as president. But I also think maybe kind of underneath that, that the Democrats might be thinking, well, you know what? And I know they usually aren't this rational, 
But they might have been thinking, well, Merrick Garland, yeah, he would have been great, but maybe not as liberal as we would have liked. And really, Antonin Scalia, he died in office probably, you know, a few years before everybody thought he was going to. So maybe the, the Republicans should be given this one. Maybe. Maybe. I know that liberals and Democrats are, are, are rarely this accommodating. But I'm wondering if that's kind of going on behind closed doors right now. Being that, once again, Merrick Garland was not going to be some revolution. It wasn't like he was a transgendered black woman who was born as a black man who's also Muslim and was born in Nigeria and then came to the United States and became a citizen or came to the United States illegally and then went to Harvard and got his slash her law degree. Merrick Garland wasn't that. Merrick Garland was just some old white guy that uh, and we know that old white people, it seems both men and women are falling out of favor in the Democrat Party. So once again, you have to wonder how hard they really, really supported Merrick Garland. I'm going to say that there were many liberals and, and, uh, and Democrats who wanted a black woman nominated or another Hispanic woman nominated or a gay justice nominated. Merrick Garland, just a white guy. And so because of that, they may be thinking, well, you know, we're going to get this Merrick Garland guy anyway. Maybe it's just this time around. We'll give it uh, this Neil Gorsuch guy the pass. He's just taken Antonin Scalia's seat. The odds of him being as conservative as Antonin Scalia are fairly, fairly low. This is probably the best we're going to do at this time. And in fact, you can read in a couple places where it's been said and once again, I, I have no intimate knowledge of any of these people who were on Trump's list. But Neil Gorsuch is considered to be one of the more moderate people, justices, judges on that list. I think William Pryor was seen as being one of the most originalist, most conservative, I guess you'd say. Neil Gorsuch was not that. He was more to the lefty side of what people consider to be a fairly conservative list. <coughs> so that's who Trump went with. I still think that's a mistake, and here's why. This is where I'm going with this. Well, now that maybe the Democrats are thinking, well, you know what? They're going to get to refill the court with somebody to take Scalia's place. Well, probably, odds are, None of those other uh, justices are going to be retiring or dying anytime soon. I know Clarence Thomas, he's been around for 25 years, but hes I don't think he's going anywhere. Sam Alito has only been in a position, what, 12 years, 13 years? Uh, the, the main Supreme Court justice, he's not going anywhere, uh, I want to keep saying John Edwards, John Roberts, he's not going anywhere. He's a fairly young guy. So the odds of him croaking, you know, unexpectedly, not very high. And so now you have Neil Gorsuch, which would make up seemingly the four originalist slash conservative guys on the court. And then you, of course, you have the four liberals, Breyer, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Ginsburg. 
man, I'm amazed I can do this off the top of my head. And then you have that guy in the middle that kind of goes back and forth, and that's Anthony Kennedy. The problem is going to be that the odds are is that Anthony Kennedy or Ginsburg or Breyer are probably going to be one of the next ones who retire or unfortunately die. Once again, I want all the justices to live to be 150 years old. For the record, do not send the Secret Service, whoever defends or protects those people, to my door. I want them all to live to be 150. Uh, That's when the problem is going to start. Because if Trump wants to continue on this path, if he's going to be loyal to what he said during the campaign, that he's going to nominate conservative judges, originalist judges, that if, say, Ruth Bader Bader Ginsburg retires, and she's, I guess, I didn't even know this, she had uh, pancreatic cancer at one time. I mean, she's one of the few survivors of that disease. So, you know, she got nominated during Bill Clinton's term, and she's not getting any younger. So what is Trump going to do then? I think that the Democrats are going to be much less accommodating then than they are now. And so what I would have done, I would have nominated the most conservative person I could get through this time because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking – Maybe the Democrats think they owe us one. Maybe. Pro- yeah, we'll just see how it goes. And so the nuclear option, the filibuster, probably isn't going to happen this time. It'll probably happen next time. So then you want to have somebody that's still to your principles, but maybe the person is not as as divisive. Let's just put it that way. Still has a strong core a uh, strong idea about the the origins of the Constitution, but maybe has been a little softer tone, just has a little bit of a lighter touch, a little bit more, being that I went to the doctor this morning, a little bit more of a bedside manner than some uh, of the other judges if I were to have my own list. Because it's going to be way harder to get somebody approved next time than this time. The, but, and see, in within this, though, My fear is that I hope that Donald Trump doesn't go light. I'm hoping that he didn't pick, you know, he picked Neil Gorsuch because he took recommendations from the people who know stuff and is following through. And I hope this is a pattern. I do. My problem is that I hope he doesn't get into this idea that, well, you know what? We got our conservatives time. Well, they lost the liberal, so you know we need to satisfy those liberals out there. I need to go a little bit wimpier next time, like way wimpier to the point where uh, Democrats don't issue any threats and don't think about a filibuster and, and all of that. Because next time, is go- no matter what happens in the next few weeks, however long this nomination process is going to – the approval process is going to take, next time, if it's a liberal who retires or dies, it's going to be like a thousand times worse. And there's no amount of uh, – because then that – because then uh, the Democrats will be in the position – that the Republicans have been in for the last year where uh, 
Donald Trump will have the opportunity to nominate another conservative justice along the lines, if it's, if it's Neil Gorsuch, to the point where you now have five justices who are fairly young. I guess Clarence Thomas would easily be the oldest of those. But um, they aren't going anywhere, and you'd have five guys on the court who, or if he nominates a conservative woman, that's fine too, uh, who aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Whereas that's what Democrats were hoping was going to happen last year with Merrick Garland. They were going to think, oh man, look at this. Look at this. This is going to be sweet. We're going to have Merrick Garland. We're going to have Ginsburg for as long as you know she's alive. We're going to have Kagan. We're going to have uh, Sotomayor. And we're going to have Breyer. And it doesn't even matter what Anthony Kennedy does anymore. We're just going to have this locked up for a while. And they also, of course, were thinking that, that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And they were getting all excited about the Supreme Court for like the next 30 years. Well, now it's flipped. And turnabout is fair play. What happens if Ruth Bader Ginsburg or one of those other ones can hold out until the election year in 2020? Do you think that the Democrats... Uh, if they somehow get control again, will try to filibuster and stop everything, hoping that a, a Democrat president gets elected in 2020 and is inaugurated in 2021. Probably. Probably. So it's not this time that's going to be difficult. It's next time because of the spot that will most likely be feel, filled. Not field. F-I-E-L-D, but filled. I do say those two words differently. Field and filled. F-I-L-L-E-D. It's going to be interesting. And I hope that... I think whoever Trump nominates next, if he gets an opportunity, it'll be a factor of what Neil Gorsuch does. And this is why uh, Neil Gorsuch... And I guess the rest of the justices, but the the conservative ones at least, uh, but especially him, he 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 needs to start wondering what Trump is doing right at three in the morning on Twitter. I imagine there's going to be some support, and there's also going to be a lot of hate and rants if Neil Gorsuch doesn't do what Trump thinks should be done. Trump is not going to be, well, you know, he's a justice now. I picked him. Just have to live with it. Just like these other presidents had to do when justices they picked did some things that they didn't like. It happens. It just happens. I think that Donald Trump is going to react to this much worse than the rest of them. And so the fear I have is that Neil Gorsuch gets in there. He makes decisions that are structurally, constitutionally sound, but Donald Trump doesn't like them. And then next time around, if Ginsburg or somebody retires or dies, he ends up picking somebody who's a lot liberal thinking, I can't trust these conservatives to do what I want. That's going to be the main question. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal, especially considering that I'm just talking about one spot in addition to Neil Gorsuch, to Anthony Scalia. See, what if it's two? What if it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg? She has a recurrence of her cancer. She has to step down. And 
And then Stephen Breyer says, you know what? I've had enough of this. This is, this is getting too wacky. We got this wacky guy, and he gets out too. And Donald Trump, you know, Neil Gorsuch stings him a couple times in a couple rulings that Donald Trump wanted to go in the opposite direction. Because Donald Trump, he takes this stuff, I think, much more personally than others will. But for now, I have to say that I'm somewhat wrong about this first pick, but we don't know until the decisions start getting made. And we'll see if Donald Trump can really, really change the, the shape of the court for the next 30 years, at least in the next by, by the picks that he makes in the night, next four years, because my belief he's going to get another pick. Four years is a long time. It's a long time, and uh, there's a good possibility. I mean, Donald. I mean, uh, Barack Obama was in for eight years. He only got to make two picks. Actually, he got to make three picks. He didn't. He, but one of them, of course, never got to the nomination process. So we'll see. It's going to be some very interesting times. If you have a Supreme Court blog or you're a lawyer who follows this stuff, constitutional lawyer, it's very interesting times for you now. And I'm sure that how Donald Trump is going to react to all of this uh, is going to fill up volumes and volumes of articles and blog posts and studies and technical papers, and it's going to fill up law books for years and years to come. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind about that. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So, but he made a good pick for now. I wish Neil Gorsuch all the luck in the world, but I remind you that it seems that he was one of the more liberal guys or judges, uh, liberal of the conservatives, on Trump's list. I got to go to the break. I'm listening to America's Conservative Podcast. The voice of American conservatism. WRS Digital. Red State Talk Radio. And we are back at America's Conservative Podcast. And I just, I just want you to know something. I have no problem talking about when I'm wrong. I know that that is kind of seen as being a weakness in people these days, and I know that if Donald Trump <coughs> here's a little bit of my I trust me, you hear this cough, I feel great. I'll cough all day as long as I can breathe like I'm breathing it right now. I realize that if Donald Trump was standing in my apartment right now as I'm doing this, he might be wagging his finger at me and saying, See, you were wrong and you can't be trusted. I know what he was doing and I really don't care. I really don't care. Uh, I I come to this microphone uh, as a cynic, and uh, I still believe that there are going to be issues that are going to pop up next week, next month, next year, where probably for a while, all of you are going to forget about the Supreme Court pick he made, and you're going to be really, really ticked off at something that he did. All right, and that's going to fade to the background. And as I continue to state... I hope that Neil Gorsuch is someone who meets your expectations. All right? It's not about my expectations because I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for Hillary. So don't look at me. 
you're the one – you're the people who voted for him. Does Neil Gorsuch meet your expectations? If he, did, if he does, I'm happy for you. Uh, I, I would – all I would tell you is let's wait for the decisions to start rolling in before you get too excited. And I continue to ask people, is Neil Gorsuch going to make up for those other things that might go bad? And this is a, this is a conversation I had uh, a couple times with uh, my friend Dave on, on Facebook. This guy who I continue to mention. I'm still wondering when we can get him on again. I guess now that the nomination is made, maybe we can talk about doing that. But in any case, because he does have a law degree, and although he doesn't practice law now, um, that once again is the good and the bad will in the end it even out. Or will Donald Trump do damage to the conservative brand, the Republican brand, while he is in the Oval Office? I'm also wondering if there are people out there who now think, well, now that we got our Supreme Court justice, our conservative Supreme Court justice, can we impeach him now? In fact, I was listening to uh, Richard Epstein, the lawyer, Constitution. Lawyer and self-titled libertarian does the Libertarian podcast, which is hosted by Troy Senek, who is a former speechwriter for George W. Bush. Uh, came out with uh, the podcast a day early. Those podcasts usually come out Wednesdays, but uh, it came out yesterday, a Tuesday. And I mean, Richard Epstein, he was about as animated as I've ever heard him saying that Donald Trump should resign for what went on with this travel ban this past weekend. It, it, uh, and, and that's why I say that there are probably people out there thinking, okay, now that we got Trump to do that, maybe we can get rid of him and put Mike Pence in there. I'm sure that those thoughts are going on out there because the main point was we needed Trump to get elected to keep Hillary away from the Supreme Court. Well, you did that, and now you got your good pick. And being that you're so up in the air on whatever else Donald Trump may do, time to get rid of it. It's like, okay, you, you did what we wanted you to do. Now we can get rid of you. That would be really funny. I know that's never going to happen. And there's no way that Donald Trump uh, resigns, and he has no reason to resign. No reason to resign. Uh, and really, to me, he hasn't done anything yet that is an impeachable offense. I think that this travel ban was poorly executed, and that was Richard Epstein's main point. Uh, but it's not un- un- unconstitutional. I'm, I'm not going to say a president should be impeached for un- for. N- constitutional behavior. Remember, the reason they went after Bill Clinton is not because he was cheating on his wife. That's not necessarily unconstitutional behavior. In fact, the Constitution is quite silent on that. Instead, what got Bill Clinton in trouble was that he was trying to get other people to lie for him, You know, people who were going to lie under oath, which is surely an impeachable offense, although it didn't go that way. It's surely impeachable when a president tries to get people to lie under oath. And to my knowledge, 
Donald Trump uh, has never done that, uh, and we'll see what ha- pops up. There are going to be scandals in his presidency. They're going to happen, like every president has them, and we'll see how he handles those. We'll see. But Neil Gorsuch is your guy, and uh, the problem is going to start, if I were the Democrats, I'd save my powder for the next one. They have nothing to worry about really as Democrats and their view of the Constitution until one of their own decides to to retire or dies. Until then, all this is going to do is put the Supreme Court back in the balance that it was before in which conservatives want some, liberals want some. Originalists want some. A living constitution, the words don't mean anything, people want some as well. Which maybe uh, is uh, where the American people are on this. It very well could be that the reason the court goes back and forth, went back and forth like it did the last eight years, is because maybe that's kind of where the American people the, – the American people are not as conservative as I am, and they aren't as liberal as Nancy Pelosi. They're somewhere in between those points. Move on to something else, and I thought that this was – this next story was a little bit a little bit overblown. But I think somewhere in there there's a point to be made. It had to do with the speech that Donald Trump gave for International Holocaust uh, Memorial Day. Is that what it's called? International Holocaust Memorial Day. Yeah. I'd never heard of this day before, just so you know. And I uh, I like reading about World War II. I like watching YouTube videos about World War II, about everything from uh, how the Germany was split up to D-Day to Midway. I, I like reading about all of it and watching. It's, it's interesting to me. And in fact, I can tell you some of those YouTube videos – uh, on on Midway, uh, the Battle of Midway, I've watched multiple times. But I'd never heard of International Holocaust Memorial Day, and Donald Trump le- gave this speech. And somehow, although he talked about the innocent people who died during the Holocaust, he never did say the J-word, and that would be Jews. And Jewish groups are up in arms over it. And there are people... Some of them on the conservative side who are attacking him, doing this, saying that this was kind of a little bit of a nod to those alt-right people who uh, supported Donald Trump in the in the primaries into the general election and continue to support him to this day, in which one of them is Steve Bannon. And so the thought is, did Steve Bannon get to this speech? And we can't say Jews in there because that's going to tick off a, a small segment of Trump's support. I have to admit, I find it a little weird. Do I think that Donald Trump is an anti-Semite? No, I don't. Not at all. Not at all. But as I said during the campaign, what is upsetting to me is he doesn't distance himself from those types of people who are obviously anti-Semites, who are obviously white nationalists, who are obviously white supremacists who think that minorities are inferior people, they're genetically inferior, mentally inferior, all of that. I know for me, I distance myself as far as I can from all of those people. They're all horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible people. 
But I don't think that's necessarily what was going on here, although I think it's odd. It would, you know, it would kind of be like, I don't know, I I wrote this example down, Uh, kind of talking about the Civil War, doing some civil, going to some Civil War memorial, some anniversary of Antietam or something, and talking about all of the men who died, and never mentioning that it was over slavery. The primary reason was because of slavery. The more general idea was states' rights and what can the states do, and can states just decide to leave the union and all that, but the main core of it was slavery. You know how I know? Because after the Civil War, there wasn't any slavery. But it would be like doing something like that on a day that was called International uh, Slavery Memorial Day, you know, commemorating the day where slavery officially ended as a you know as an accepted practice in the United States, and never mentioning slaves, never mentioning black people. That would be weird. I would say it's a bit weird. I wouldn't necessarily think that the person who made the speech is a racist. But you do wonder how that gets left out. And so it makes people suspicious. Now, I will say that this is one of uh, Donald Trump's first speeches. I'm going to give him a little bit of a break here. This is one of his first speeches as the president. He's not president-elect, but he's the actual president. And it could be that he and his speechwriters, well, maybe they just need to get on the same page. They're they're all a little bit green, and it could have just been an oversight. I just don't know. Maybe we'll find out why that was. Do, but do I believe that the speech was anti-Semitic? Did I think that they left the Jews out on purpose as a wink-wink, nudge-nudge? I hope not. All I know is I don't think that Donald Trump is racist, and that's probably – or an anti-Semite, and that's probably the most important part. Now, if this keeps happening, <laughs> if he does – continues to do speeches about bad, thi- bad things, memorials, you know, memorials for bad things that happened – and once again, maybe he does do a Civil War speech and doesn't mention slavery, doesn't mention black people, and how happy he is that black people uh, be, you know, got to be citizens, became equal to white people after the Civil War in the South. Um, then, then maybe a pattern develops, and then we can revisit what he said here. But I'm not going to take that out of one speech. I know that I've done this show for a while now, and sometimes I forget to say things that are fairly obvious. A name, a group, something. I get on a topic, and then afterwards I'll be like, well, how did I leave that out of that? What? But I don't have written speeches. I do most of this this talk right off the top of my head. I just have a few notes. So... It's maybe a little more excusable me for if I forget somebody's name or forget a date or a location. If I had a written speech and I was doing the International Holocaust Memorial Day, I think that I would have the word Jews in it. I think. And if my speechwriter didn't put it in there, I think I would put it in there. 
So uh, at this point, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if these are people scheming behind the scenes uh, and giving the speech to Donald Trump, and he might have read it and not realized that Jews weren't. I don't know. But I'm not going to get crazy over one speech. Not yet. But once again, happens again regarding something, happens again regarding something else. Then I'm going to, to be way more suspicious. Let's move on to something else. If you didn't notice, uh, Elaine Chow got not, got approved, and I don't think there was any surprise. That's there is no surprise, and, and in fact, being that she was the wife of Mitch McConnell, it virtually guaranteed that she was going to go pretty pretty smoothly. And so she is uh, the head of the Department of Transportation. So I guess that this infrastructure stuff is going to happen. And I sp- I really do believe that Trump and his people nominated her because of the idea, kind of sending a little wink, once again, to use that saying again, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Mitch McConnell. You know what? We'd really like to put together that infrastructure plan I talked about as president-elect. And I talked about while I was running for president. And here's what I did. To do that is no good sign of good faith. I nominated your wife to be head of the Department of Transportation uh, a department that's going to get a lot more money now because I want to do this infrastructure. And it would really be nice if you, Congress, designated the money for these projects because, once again, look at me. I just nominated your wife, and you're the major- Senate majority leader. You know, do me this favor. Really, it's the worst. I, I know the- this maybe goes by a lot of people. This is the problem with politics. It doesn't seem right to me, that the wife of the majority leader would be able to be nominated to a position where her department would benefit from the majority leader coming up with a budget that was going to go into her department. It doesn't seem like that should happen that way, and I would, I'm like this either way. Liberals, Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, this is, you know, and the, the funny thing is we just accept it. All you'll hear most places is, oh, this is such a smart pick. Elaine Chow, she's so capable. She did such such, such good work as Department of Labor <coughs> secretary under uh, George W. Bush. Um, she's so capable, and now she's on the Department of Transportation. That's such a smart pick on Trump's part. Well, she may be a very capable woman. She may be the nicest person in the world. But there is a somewhat of a conflict of interest regarding all this. You know, it's funny that we as conservatives, we can get all hot and bothered because some politician or some, you know, some politician is married to a reporter. Somebody or a reporter uh, goes from being, uh, becomes a reporter after being an official in the Barack Obama uh, department somewhere, some spokesman somewhere, and then becomes a reporter for CNN. We get all ticked off about that. Not, no objectivity. Just another liberal hack in media. But we perfectly accept that the wife of the majority leader is going to be head of the Department of Transportation with an infrastructure bill that's probably headed her way. You know, and you don't see the quid pro quo there. Just accept it. 
Donald Trump could have nominated anybody to that post. Anybody. And like I said, I, I continue to believe a lot of these people are just going to be figureheads anyway. I think there's proof of that. Once again, we'll have to find if it continues to be a pattern. But he could have nominated anybody. There are a lot of capable people in the United States that could be uh, Secretary of Transportation. He just happened to pick the wife of the majority leader. And we just accept it. People just accept it. I, I, don't, I don't like it. I just don't. And he's not, and get me, don't get me wrong. Donald Trump is not the first guy to do this, so I'm not going to give him too hard of a time on that. This has been going on for too long. Too long stuff like this. And we should, I, I have to say, even though I'm not a part of the party anymore, Republicans should be better than this. It should be above this. You have to fill a position, fill it with somebody who doesn't have any connection to anybody in Congress or the White House. How about that? There's a thought. That's not what happened. One more thing before I go, and I have about five minutes left. Uh, Ben Shapiro wrote a very good article at uh, National Review magazine, and it has to do with, uh, you know, I think the title of it is There Is No Master Plan. And it, it, of course, it's fairly critical of the Trump administration, but it's critical of all government in general. And I, with Barack Obama's administration, George W. Bush's administration, that we should never take for granted that just because something good happens, a good pick happens, or a good executive order happens, or something like this, that the people who are doing it are knowledgeable, are experts, or anything else. Because there's been a lot of good laws and good executive orders. I have a little sneeze coming on that have been passed over the years, and our government is a mess. Our federal government is a bigger mess than any other government or business, private business, in the United States. The federal government makes California look like a well-run state, and California is probably one of the worst-run states. It's a joy compared to the federal government. And so he talks about <laughs> – he just says this, and it's true. Most people in government are dolts, D-O-L-T-S. And, but he goes on further to say, you know why people in government are dolts? Because most people are dolts. He are, it's our human nature that makes us dolts. Nobody is perfect. Nobody makes the correct decision all the time. Somebody may be an expert. But they can be overcome by confirmation bias and everything else. And this is the perfect argument for small government. In fact, it's a, his argument he's making here is an argument that I make regarding human nature, regarding power. The reason you disperse power, and nobody should hold too much of it, is because human nature, when people have power, they do bad things with it. But you need some sort of government so we aren't all at each other's throats every day. You have to find the, the, the natural balance between that. And, and to me, what civilization is about is finding that balance. Sometimes you're going to go a little too far this way. 
and then a little too far back the other way. But you're always kind of centered on that happy medium somewhere. And uh, that's where my conservatism comes from because I think peop- I think in general people with too much power are evil. I am suspicious of people who have too much power. And uh, unfortunately, I think more people, most people are along the lines of, I only want certain people to have a lot of power because I like those people. That is a flaw. That is a human nature flaw. I think it's a wrong way to think. But Ben Shapiro is saying, you know why people in government are adults? It's because people in general life are adults. And it's amazing that the same kind of people who are in these private companies are the same people who are in government. They're making bad decisions. They're ducking out early on Fridays. They're calling in sick when they aren't. Sometimes they take their jobs a little too seriously, and they wake up every day just looking to ruin somebody's life. It's all part of human nature, and that's what makes this this, uh, expanding government that we have in the United States so perplexing because I think – Your average person realizes he or she is an imperfect person. Somehow, I think too many of people, especially people who default to government every time, is that government can fix everything or the people who work in government are perfect. You know, there's no weirder thing than saying how bad politicians are and how they're all crooked and then automatically defaulting to government when you want something fixed. There ha- Does nobody see the contradiction and the paradox in that? Or the irony, whatever. Irony, paradox, coincidence, whatever the word would be. <coughs> but people are adults. And most of the time, a lot of people, the reason they get success, yes, they're hard workers and everything. A lot of people sometimes just upon, happen to luck upon stuff. Right place, right time, and we should never mistake that for a master plan. Good article by Ben Shapiro at National Review. I got to go. You can email me, edwarddensel at reagan.com. You can find this show on Podomatic and iTunes. Please listen, share, and subscribe. You can find it Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Prime Channel on at redstatetalkradio.com, and then 2 a.m. Eastern on the Encore Channel on Red State Talk. My other show, Unfound, doing very well. Missing Person Show, True Crime Show, if you're into that. Please subscribe, listen, share it, Podomatic and iTunes for that show as well. Comes out every Friday, new episode. And I gotta go. You've been listening to America's Conservative Podcast. <laughs>